This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. Today's episode is a chat with stand-up comic, writer, and writer, one for TV, one for a book, Guy Branham. Guy is old pal of mine, so so happy to talk to this person. And may I also say, hey, speaking of stand-up, if you live in Los Angeles, would you like to come see me do stand-up here at Dynasty Typewriter in our city on September 21st? Good. Also, if you live in Raleigh, I will be there at your city. I will be there at your city on September 27th and 28th. So please come to that and you can get a full write-up. That's not anything. You get a full list of my upcoming dates at CameronEsposito.com slash tour. Enjoy. 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 I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still I have folks introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Sure. Hello, I am Guy Branham, the former host of Talk Show the Game Show on True TV and the author of My Life as a Goddess, available wherever books are sold. <laughs> you know what's really good about that is I include the part where I say, will you introduce yourself? And there was a tiny moment before you got into your like, Guy Branham vo- voice where you said, sure, in like this like very private you and I just seeing each other face-to-face voice, yes. and then you transitioned into this, like, beautiful, performative stage voice that I've seen you use. That's very sweet, but I also think one of the things about stand-up more so than other things is having an off position is astoundingly important. Um, because I feel like in the way that actors can be on a lot of the time, their on is a sharing on, and our on is a, I'm the most important person in this theater on. Mm. And so when we are with each other, it would be brutal if we didn't have access to that. Yeah, I mean, well, that's funny that you say that because I feel like that's definitely how I am. Yeah. Definitely how I am. And then I also feel like sometimes I see comics who seem to be able to like sort of function at this comic level all the time. And I have no access to that. I just, I cannot like relate to that at all. So it's interesting to me that for you, there's like a big difference between your on and off stage personality or persona. I don't know that those things are so different from each other. I think it's a different sensibility. I think for me, it's a sliding scale. You've seen me at a party. I mean, that's human interaction that's pretty close to on. Like I do have a terrible habit of interviewing people in any situation where... <laughs> I actually like, know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's really funny. Um, I never would have... <laughs> yeah. But I do think, I mean, this is the thing we do. Mm. So it does, like, get into your blood. Um, and, you know, I there are definitely times in, like, you know, social situations or non-onstage situations when you put on the metaphorical jacket. Sure, that's true. <laughs> I find that, I, that for me, that's not usually when I'm around um, other comics because mm-hmm. when I'm around other comics, then I feel like the offstage joke competition it lacks appeal for me. But if I'm in a room of like um, 
everyday citizens who yeah. have different jobs, I love to be the one yeah. that's like, and it's not even like a, it's not like a class clown thing, but I just can be very captivating and funny. I know what that skill is. Well, I have worked that muscle, so I can totally go into that really easily. And I like have, to do that. People have such a cliched concept of what a stand-up is. And it is really interesting to see all of the different shapes and sizes of people who came to this because there, there is this notion of class clowniness. Um, but, but what I find also interesting is like, a partner in Trilla was being a partner in Trilla the whole time. Phoebe Robinson was being Phoebe Robinson. And that isn't what people would describe as class clown, but God damn it, I want to sit next to her. You know? Yeah, totally. I actually find that it's pretty, well, again, there are like these comics who are sort of of that personality type, but I think it's a lot more, I don't know. It's like a rule following sort of nerdiness that I think becomes this like, boundaryless job later in life where yeah. it's like there's alcohol at my work and I tell jokes for a living like that to me feels uh very often and in my case it's uh it's like it, almost an unpredictable reality I was like I followed every rule no but that is an interesting dynamic that you either have those people who like are like yeah I party and tell <laughs> jokes for a living right and then by you know Eight years into this, like, they're in recovery or, you know. Sure. Like, um, but I, I do feel like most of the people I enjoy these days are people who, with more of a studious and responsible approach to things. <laughs> studious is great. Well, I, there was that growth of shows, like, starting, like, seven or eight years ago where you had to go and do homework before you could come and do this show. And there were some people oh who my just, God. Like, like, clubby guys who hated it because it's like, that's not material I can take on the road. And it's like, oh, it's fun. Like, I want to I wanna go and do it, and I also want to see what Kara Clank is going to write, you know? I think, so just for folks that might be listening that don't know exactly what you're talking about, you're talking about, like, um, stand-up had this certain twist or turn where suddenly to like compete here in LA specifically, yeah. but I've seen it other, other places also um, to compete just for an audience for a live audience shows started doing sort of gimmicky themes yeah. or like this, this is going to all be uh, comics who, whose set is drawn as they talk to you or whatever it yeah. is. And it's like these really arty side of stand up, which has always been there as like yeah. a shadow industry art stand up yeah. that just evolves over time, but it's always been there. But even something like, like like roast battle is something where you have to sure. like go write a bunch of jokes for it or I want you to debate this topic or, um, you know, teach everybody a lesson about, you know, history or something. Um, and those are really fun, but very nerdy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Roast battle is very nerdy. Why don't we talk about that? Um, <laughs> it's true. You were said that you have an inclination or predisposition to interview people as you're talking to them. Where do you think that comes from? I know what you're talking about. You're, it's like you have a very engaged sort of interpersonal style where you ask a lot of questions and then follow up questions. And then are like, I think looking for like real answers. I, um, I think it is in part because I am a Scorpio. Um, and we want to get to the heart of things. Um, and I also think I just, I like to learn um, and then I also think, um, like, as a queer person, you have that inclination to just sort of, like, I don't know. It, it's, like, because there is such, there can be such a distance between 
what's going on inside of us and how we appear. I think there are some people uh, for whom getting to the juicy center is very appealing. And I think there are some people who are like, oh God, I love skating by on surfaces. Isn't it nice that we can do that? Do you like people to know your juicy center? Um, <laughs> by the way, what a great question. Uh, <laughs> do you like people to know your juicy center? But yeah. Um, I always imagine that I did, but then people have raised the prospect of me asking all of the questions is a great way of not answering questions, which I had never really thought before. I always thought of myself as, um, you know, an open wound, um, or maybe more a lactating breast, you know? (laughs) Um, and I, you know, I, I didn't think about the way that, you know, there are things that, I that I don't lead with and maybe don't give people the opportunity to um, ferret out on their own. Yeah, I mean, you know, I say this with full, um, you know, self-knowledge or whatever. Putting yourself in the position of interviewer is a position of power because yeah. you get to kind of guide what topics are going to be explored. And I, like on this show, I share a lot of my own self and people certainly ask me questions back, but it's also, it's not necessarily a neutral space, you know, like, yeah. like I'm the boss of this space. And I think when we do that interpersonally, that can sometimes have that effect too. Uh, how do you feel about the fact that I will deflect from that by asking a question? Do how, it. How do you feel about the fact that um, we expect different things from female and male interviewers that on talk shows, men at desk, Per, like suppliant at chair is very much one of the rules. But when we put women as interviewer, they are on a couch together or they are at most chair next to chair. And in that case, it's probably a queer woman um, right. <laughs> who's, you know, um, who's wearing a suit, you know? I mean, I think that's such a good question. I have many times thought about this past election and how, If there had been a female late night host and specifically somebody who was a person of color, Mm. um, that that person would have been able to speak about what was happening in the election cycle from such a different place of knowledge, but also just visually would have looked different. And I think we don't. But Cameron, I think we need six sources for the same joke every night. (laughs) I just, we don't even. It's like I kept waiting. Sometimes I just feel like I'm waiting for someone to write this article, you know, like mm-hmm. like like I have an observation about something in comedy and I'm waiting for somebody to write this article, whatever it is. And it's usually like, actually, no, there's going to be 87 articles about like this comic using the F word in their special yeah. or something. And it, it's just like so much more interesting is the way in which having no voice in the space that lampoons mm-hmm. our culture means that like we don't get to take the power back. And I think that that extends to the behind the desk thing. You know, it's like we're supposed to listen and be sympathetic and, you know, put our hand on the knee or like whatever would be appropriate, (laughs) but we're not supposed to like sort of grill or invite or host, you know? Well, and the, the interesting thing about a comedy host situation is we have women in news because they are performing studiousness uh, and and sort of like re-underlining their competence. But there's a way that like late night host requires implicit authority so that he can f- fuck around. That's um, right. And it, it, like, it's hard that we, the, the minute a woman gets into that space, 
there is already this thing of she's having to prove herself, which means how can it feel effortless? It was really interesting seeing uh, the movie Late Night that Mindy Kaling wrote, just because at the center of the movie is this thing that we've never had before, like venerable female late night host. Um, And it was interesting to see the aesthetics and vibe that they were had put on Emma Thompson. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm curious about it for the same, for the reason that you're talking about. And I, yeah, I mean, as you know, my experience as a person, the workforce and specifically in this job that we share, Mm. um, is that I have to earn respect that I see given to my male peers freely. Even just like by nature of time that somebody's been working. Like I have seen dudes that I know don't like this other dude's comedy. Like there's no there's no overlap on their Venn diagram. Like I'm sure it's like this isn't your favorite comic. Right. Treat each other with this like pure sensibility mm-hmm. that I just – I get, but I have to earn it or yeah. it has to be from somebody like at a lower level than me. Um, you know, like an opener or whatever right. might come to that naturally. Uh, but it's so wild. It, yeah. And there is a way that like, especially the longer a dude has been around, the more likely he is uh, to consider certain types of comics, new flavors that are here to accent the real comedy, <laughs> uh, a, like a structural requirement of time. And they'll acknowledge that. Um, but the no, like the notion of that degree of sort of like collegial respect does just take, I mean, like I felt like I had to, like, prove myself so long and hard before it got to the point where people finally were just like, well, he's been around. He's going to be around. (laughs) And, you know, you you got that degree of sort of, like, um, collegiality. And you think you're on the other side of that now? I mean, I think with many people, I think that there are definitely comics who are, like, ready to be dismissive and who is he but i would say with um i mean essentially i mean i think you are it's just funny to like ask about um or it's i'm asking about i guess self-perception here like whether you're on the other side of that line the thing is, is i feel that on the other side of that line with people who are sort of um my age ish uh, Uh or and or or sort of like levelish and younger and below um I think that um, if they don't if they don't know who I am, um, I don't like. I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, I, I think if somebody <laughs> I'm not making a point. Somebody sees you on stage. I think they're they're going to like like and respect you I think for a lot of people uh who have been in comedy for 20 years or more uh the minute they hear my voice they are they're likely if they don't know context for me to be like why is he here you know what's this um so I still feel like there's that yeah I want I guess I want to ask about that for I think there's two parts of that that I want to ask about one is you also have a writing career you know mostly um, my context for you over the last couple of years isn't so much the things that like um, sort of like ring the bell of stand up, mm-hmm. but more like 
I know you've been very consistently working as a writer, yeah. as, a t- as a television writer. Yeah. Um, and so that's one thing that... How do you feel like that positions you in sort of, I guess, the world as a, as a writer here in LA or like, or as a comic? Well, that, has that affected your Absolutely, because I think people... <laughs> The more you become somebody who has influence in casting decisions because you are, like, a mid-level writer or higher, I think people are, like, a little bit aware of that. And I think— Oh, uh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, um, sure. And I think there is just sort of this I'm still here element of, um, you know, he's he's been around, he's survived, sure. so whatever he's doing must be going well. Um, within the world of writing, I think it was— within writing there was a very clear transition moment where it went from oh god where am I going to get my next job to being able to comfortably be like it's there you know um, that I was going to be able to swing from branch to branch Um, like in at the end of 2013 the show I was on Totally Biased with W. Command Bell uh, was getting cancelled and there came that panic moment I had felt so many times before and then I got an email that was like hey I heard you're available and that felt nice. Uh, and then within writing, I think being on a show for three seasons, uh, when I was on the Mindy Project, I think that the question for within writing is just like, is this person going to be able to deliver? And once you've been on a show with writers people respect that lasted a couple of – and you lasted on it a couple of years, then – like people are like more likely to see you as just like somebody who can be relied upon. And there there's like this rich network of like people who work together or like, you know, Oh, one of the venerable Harvard guys like trusted you. So the other Harvard guys will now know that while you are not like one of their beloved brethren, you can at least be trusted. And I think, um, there was a more concrete sense in writing of like, um, oh, yes, this is the point where Guy is now dependable and a valued person in a room. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. The Harvard guy thing that you're mentioning is that there are, weirdly, we don't talk about this outside of the industry. Maybe people that are listening are, I'm just going to like decode uh, some of the things no, that perfect. you're saying because I feel yes. like there's some deep cuts. Um, I, maybe a lot of people don't know that there is this huge uh, connection between like specifically the Harvard Lampoon, but also other like groups of dudes that have gone to Harvard together who then went on to create. It is like secretarial school for being a comedy writer. Yes. Like you graduate from it and they place you. Right. Like um, uh, my friend Chris, the very funny Chris Schleicher, um, super talented queer writer. um, But uh, he graduated, moved to LA, and within a year was just give not given, um, but like uh, got a spot um, on a writing staff without having to do a lot of the things that people who didn't go to Harvard do have to do. I guess we're breaking the story that Harvard can open doors. <laughs> I can't believe we you heard it here first. Oh shit. Okay, wait, here's the other branch that I wanted to follow before we get too far down this path. Um, You being, you know, here we are, we're talking about some sexism stuff that's in comedy and some just, like, visual 
lack of familiarity with the idea that a woman could be behind a dad, like that uh-huh. whole thing. But then you're a dude, you're a white mm-hmm. dude, but you are so atypical for stand up. And I think that some of that is like your size. Uh-huh. And I think the other part of that is um, your queerness. Yeah. And I don't know very, I don't think I know another comic working who, um, seems like you, you know, who reminds me of you or whatever you And I wonder what that experience is like, because especially since we started and we're talking and you and I are like making eye contact and we're like, no, I know that's what it would be yeah. like for women behind a late night desk. But here you are like you fall within some of this demographic and then, and then other ways you don't. I mean, there are problems that I don't have. I think one of the most interesting things was, when I was starting out in San Francisco at the punchline, realizing the way that an audience, um, when a woman got on stage, the men in the audience believed that they no longer were obliged to look at what was going on. <laughs> like true, Still true. Um, or, I mean, the most, the, the scariest is realizing that when all of the men are laughing, or some of the men are laughing, and none, none of the women are laughing, men are oblivious. And if some of the women are laughing and none of the men are laughing, something's wrong. And like the women stop laughing because they are aware of the person next to them. You know what's so funny about that too, though? And I was just in Burlington, Vermont, and I had this experience of like, I was playing a club, which I don't always yeah. do anymore. Yeah. And there were a shit ton of men in the room. Yeah. And they were all, not all, many of them were laughing. Like, yeah. actually, no, almost all. Like, yeah. like I was just like doing very, very well with all these guys. Yeah. And then there was one guy, I was there for five shows, right? So one show, there was a guy who had like his hat pulled down really low as like a baseball cap. And he was not making eye contact with me. And I couldn't tell if he was drunk or if he was going to hurt somebody. And yeah. that's what's so wild about... Like, he left for a second. I had to ask his the person he was sitting with, like, is that your friend? Do uh-huh. you know what's going on with that person? Because yeah. the thing about a man not laughing is that that becomes scary yeah. very quickly. Like, it's not just about, um, like, oh, men aren't satisfied, so therefore this can't be good. It's also, like, even just one guy. Yeah. You know, like, that can be so... I'm like, does this guy have a fucking gun? Like, that's what I'm thinking in my head, you know? There's always the interesting moment when somebody in the audience is not having it, and um, it is very apparent to you, at least. Um, When I started out so frequently performing in, like, the Central Valley and stuff, that was because people did not like having to hear a gay guy. Um, But a couple of years ago, I was at the University of New Hampshire, and there was this boy with just his arms crossed, not having it, not laughing at anything. And, you know, when it is a student program, they don't know what, you know, uh, PC bullshit the school signed them up for. They thought they were just getting a comic. And so I was very aware of it, but I didn't say anything because... Like, I love crowd work, and I love going at people um, for, you know, just, like, what they're serving. But there are times when you are, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, I, sure. I, I don't know what bad is going on in your life. Anyway, the point is, after the show, he came up to say something to me, and I just, like, was like, what are you doing here? You, Your arms were crossed the entire show. You did not have a good time. Why are you talking to me? And he was like, I came out three days ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he was like, 
being gay in public for the first time. Oh, my God. Um, And so that was very sweet. And then when I did shows in New England, like, that were around there, I would sometimes stop in and just, like, we would have coffee. And that little boy would, like, check in with oh, that's amazing. how gay was going. Um, But the thing is, is, to answer your earlier question, I'm big. I don't have that pro- – I, I don't have the problem of people assuming – I don't matter. I'm big and white. Um, but then when I do talk, it, it was very interesting having to learn, like, the minute people hear my voice and that it is not is a gay voice and not the voice that should go with my body, um, there will be reactions, you know? Um, and that I had to sort of, like, manage that energy mm. and deal with that. Um, yeah, but the... the you know, I I don't I would never imply that I have all of the problems that a female comic does. That's so funny because even during that f- part where you're talking about that young guy in New Hampshire, I'm realizing that you and I have had a really different experience because I just realized as you were talking, maybe maybe this is not true, um, but maybe have you have you been scared for your safety when you were on stage? Oh, that is another thing that... Because uh, that's how I felt. Not scared of, like, an audience member not liking yes. me, but scared for my safety. I just... Uh, and I just didn't know if you've had that experience. No. I mean, like, there have been a, there have been a couple of times, but I also, like... I, I am mean in crowd work, and... Um, oh, you, you like, are very um, the boss of the room. Yeah. So, there have been a couple of times when I left and I was like, is a dude going to start something? Wow. Um, but that's, I, I don't think ever the same kind of fear. Uh, like, I just don't fear for my bodily safety in that way. Um, oh, that's so interesting. I don't know because, why I didn't think of that. <laughs> uh, and it's it's interesting. Like, I, I like going on the road, but then when I remember, like, you know, if I were a 53 woman going through the same experience it might be less fun to stroll through Burlington Vermont in the middle of the night with college students Guy, I am 54 <laughs> <laughs> Shit that's so fucking real my god yeah. Wait so then let me ask you this question what about like are you as a gay like just as a gay man are you ever worried for your safety? Or is that just like not an experience that you, I I mean, rejection is one thing, but physical safety. Oh, I mean, no. Like what an interesting experience of queerness. I I feel like not everybody has that experience. No, it's, uh, it's very true. I mean, you are, I think I do still get very self-conscious about, um, like outing myself in certain situations like, okay, actually, here's here's the one situation where I, like, would have felt uh, in, in physical danger. Because the thing is, is so many people are like, he is large, they would not uh, just start anything. Um, but then there are, like, in maler situations, when I was young, um, boys wanted to get in fights to prove that they could beat up the big guy. Oh, um, my God, sure. And I, that was always very stressful for me. But, um... So in 2013, I lived in New York. I came back and I had this one traffic ticket that I had paid online, but I was supposed to show up to court to take care of. Um, I got pulled over and because of that, I had to go to jail. Um, 
And West Hollywood Jail was the most charming place. They were very supportive and nice. <laughs> but then the next day, I got transported to um, downtown so that I could be taken to the court. And it was just literally every boy who couldn't follow the rules in third grade. And it was one of those situations where I was like, oh, shit, somebody's going to do something. Um, and then a lady came through and was like, do you need to be segregated? Are you gay? Are you gay? And I didn't realize that they did it. But then they put me in a little tank with uh, three other gay guys and four trans women, and we had a lovely day. Oh, wow. Yes. And actually, even as you were telling that story of being a child and like being uh, targeted as like the big guy people need to beat up, I was thinking like, oh, that's a thing from prison. Like I just, yeah. so I can't believe that that's then where the story went. Yes. Cause I, I think you're totally, yeah, that is like a, a trope or whatever. I mean, it's, and I do get into the thing is, it's like, I don't fear for my safety walking down the street, but my, my residue from that is when games of like masculinity show up in that kind of very present way. I'm just, my reaction is so much. I don't know. I don't know what to do, and this could end up going very badly because they do just have those things that they believe they need to fight over. I mean, more so in the cultural space of the little farm town that I'm from than sure. here, but there's still just that, and I, I don't understand those dynamics. Can you fight? Did you, had to, did you have to learn to fight? I mean, I did somewhat. I don't think I was ever good at it. I was always too much in my head, but also, I mean, I can hurt some, you know, I'm just big. I mean, that's actually what, yeah. I'm, what I was kind of getting at is like this weird um, thing of being put in that position. I don't know what yes. it's like to be uh, somebody who could hurt someone, actually. Like, I mean, I, I'm just, I don't have that um, it is body. Always, it is, <laughs> I just don't have that. <laughs> it's, it's not really a thing I think about that much, and it is always interesting um, when you deal with somebody with a, to me, I, I am always thinking about the size of your personality more than anything else. Um, yeah, sure. And when I like hug somebody who I think of as being strapping and you are reminded that they are petite, you know, um, it, are you saying you think we're the same size? Cause <laughs> honestly me too, like yes. straight up, I mean, me I, too. I look at you. I'm like, that's the same size. I was, <laughs> I'm not even like, that's very real. For I was me. in high school before I really realized that women were in some shorter than men. It had just never really crossed my mind. <laughs> sure. You know, they're in the middle of the TV frame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that's all very, I don't know. That's like mind blowing. I don't know. I remember the first time I, I sat next to a comic named Matt Bronger on a plane one time. We were going to the same place to perform. And that is the first time I realized sometimes people are like maybe too big to fit somewhere. Cause he's just like a foot and a half taller than me or something. Yeah. Like he's like, whatever, much taller than me. And yeah. we were sitting in the same seat. And I just, again, for like the same thing you're talking, I just, yeah. I kind of think everybody's my size. So, yeah. And I do think that especially um, in a weird job where like a very often I'm alone on stage, there's yeah. no like even size correlate. Right. Like there's yeah. no, I just am, I just appear as a human in space or whatever. And, you know, it was realizing the safety things, but also just like the practical things of um, 
you know, it's nice to be able to pick things up, you know, or like, um, <laughs> you know, reach the high shelves. Like, um, I, there is a nice lady who comes and cleans my house on a regular basis and I just put things where she can't reach. So like, there are some things that I just have to put away once things are over because she can't get there. <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! about dating when you are um meeting folks is this a factor like is is oh you're yeah i mean i'm i'm fat and that is not what a lot of gay men are into like um i think that for white gay men particularly having the option of looking like normalcy um, is like a power that they treasure and mm, um, sure. like uh, means a lot to them. Um, and I'm not that. I mean, like there have definitely been dudes who were into me because this is their type and this is what they like. Um, and, you know, that's nice, but it's also just, I mean, the bigger problem is in my own head that, um, you know, I, like, I wish I were doing it more more normally and trying to get out of my own head and being able to appreciate the appreciation that somebody is throwing at me um, is, you know. Wait, what do you mean? Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. When you say the the problem is in your own head, what do you mean? What's the problem that you're talking about there? Just like uh, a sense that I'm not the right kind of gay guy, you know, uh, um, that uh, I wish I could be um, the delicate accessory that society <laughs> seems to want of us. And that we so frequently seem to enjoy being. Um, there are like ways that it is advantageous um, because I don't get dis like I, I think I just didn't get dismissed the way that some gay guys will get dismissed uh, when they are delicate little things. But I also think when it comes to um, like dating and sexual appeal, like I'm just, I'm not a person to most gay guys, you know? And like, that was a really hard fight. Um, when I was first coming out, realizing that it's an, 
most of what's going on is in their own head. I myself did not put myself in a lot of places that I didn't think were, that I thought was for cuter boys than me um, along the way. Not so much, like when I was first coming out in Minneapolis, it was kind of nice because there's only one place to go every night. And, you know, um, like you, everybody's there. What was that place called? Um, no, no, no. It's a different, it's big enough that there's a different place every ah, day of the week. Ah, got it. So like on Thursdays, it was the saloon. Got on it. Mondays, it was the gay 90s. Then I went to San Francisco and stand up was my life. But also San Francisco is like the most body positive and sex positive place on the planet. And there were definitely guys who were terrible, who, you know, um, would, and, you know, it's not unusual for us to invite someone over off of their picks. And then once they actually get there, be like, all right, we're done. Uh, and some people were, were dicks about it. Um, but it was still okay. But I think it was more when I got here and there were, you know, LA gay boys are very beautiful and statusy. And I would sort of like keep myself out of situations because I was like, that's not for me. And then getting to a point of, well, I mean, being famous enough that I would go into a space and I would be enjoyed for that definitely helped. But also just realizing like, oh, they're all terrified and scared. They're not terrified and scared. Like, I have nothing to do with that. Like, they are, if anything, being competitive with the person who's slightly better or slightly worse than them. No one's fucking, you know, like... There's nothing bad to be had here. And there have definitely been times when gay spaces have let me know that I wasn't welcome um, because I wasn't adorable enough. Um, yeah. And by that point in time, I was, you know, secure enough to be like, no, that's your mistake, but not mine. You know, mm -hmm. like the first time that happened at a club, seven minutes later, I was in the club. And 20 minutes after that, I was making out with a very cute boy. Like, <laughs> it went fine, you know? Well, I do have some understanding of what you're describing. It's, it's a little different. Um, but I think that, you know, my understanding of myself is that through like an, a little bit of an evolution, I, I'm now like sort of not even trying to appeal to this thing that I was sort of weirdly successful at, but never felt successful at, which is being valued by men. Mm -hmm. You know, like I always um, was kind of able to, like if when I was, when I conceived of myself as straight, I was always able to date. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was very focused on people liking my personality. Like I would mm -hmm. be like, it's not anything having, it has nothing to do with what I'm offering in like an attractiveness. Um, and some of that is just like, I think that the experience of being a butch woman in a patriarchal culture is like, well, you know, we're essentially cows to be like inherited between, you know, fathers and, yeah. and sons-in-law. Um, I have nothing to offer, you know, like just realizing that you're sort of valueless mm -hmm. in this culture. And so, again, it's like kind of a little bit what you're talking about, about gay culture, like realizing that the the thing that you are just doesn't have inherent value in this in that space. Yeah. I mean, it butchness makes it harder to make you an accessory, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It requires contemplation of your personhood. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's. 
gay men are complex. There are ways that we are very shallow and people are ready to point that out. Um, I think a lot of those things are deeply defensive gestures. And I think, you know, once you push past that, um, we are people full of art and complexity. Um, uh, I love I love that saying they're, that they're deeply dis- defensive gestures. I, mean, I don't feel like I ever hear people talk about that, but that, that makes so much sense well, to me. Yeah. But also, we had to spend 20, 30 years explaining that we are not a mental disorder, yeah, which means that right. our comfort with being able to say there's some shared trauma within our community, um, you, you know, we don't feel ready to do that. And it's like, it's, I mean, it's the dangerous Instagram ability of gay guys mm. that um, if we can make everything look nice in a photo, isn't that a nice idea? And trying to live towards that photo and sort of dealing with like the complexities and realities of things. And also this is LA where um, we love a nice image. And yeah, uh, but it's also full of people who are, artists and who love art and I think getting past the shallow parts and getting to the complex parts is you know worth it and doable well and also I mean being the experience of being like a queer person with that shared trauma that you're talking about and deciding to go into stand-up specifically which is like I'm going to speak in the first person and the contract is that you're going to sit there and listen to me like that is Still radical in a really exciting way. It's what attracted me to it. I still feel it every time I perform. Um, it is interesting how much people do not see the difference between us being characters and us being speakers. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, it's like everyone's like, well, there are, there are gay people in media. There are, are like are a lot. And it's like. Mostly it is straight guys uh, writing for straight guys to perform. And like, that's the limitation of what you're getting. And And there's a big divide also between like this first group of people, like the Ellen, Rosie, Wanda folks, that age group. Like there's a huge divide where like... Now there's there are some emerging comics or maybe people more like sort of our age yes. or whatever, but there's that's still like a twenty year age gap. Also, no men came out during that period. No men came out during that. Period. Um, and that, that is it is a thing that fascinates me, and that there there was that sort of break between people at the middle of their career taking the risk to come out, and then having a, a feeder crop come up takes another you know ten years. You just like for such a long time, you didn't see anybody who did this who yeah. wasn't a, like a straight guy. Um, but the fact that no no dudes came out. So, well, Bob Smith, right? Okay, but well, but, I, but is, he's very Bob Smith never like Bob Smith never made it. Bob Smith yeah. was the first gay man on uh, the Tonight Show. Uh, like within a very short period of time, they had Bob Smith on and Suzanne Westenhofer. Uh, to sort of be like, queer comics, they're a thing. And then Bob had some health troubles, but like, also there was there was nowhere past seven minutes to go. And I think that's right. the thing that fascinates me about the 90s, is that you had these people who, like, because we were opening up our minds to queerness, got to be on showcase shows, and then there was literally not a next step for them. I and, still find that to be true. Yeah. I mean, for most of us, you know, we're still waiting for, like, our... Um, for someone to think that like 
we might have multiple hours in us well, about queer topics too, yeah. not about like well, society or but then culture. There's, there's also the issue of um, these things matter a lot to me. But like on, on the one hand, you've got the thing of nobody in the middle of their career came out, and there were people, there were men who could have, um, but then also there among gay men particularly, there's not an audience. Like, queer women now understand that going and performing, like, going and watching a queer comic is a thing that you would do, and gay guys go watch Amy Schumer. Like, it just doesn't cross anybody's mind, and we're, like, we're not being a market for ourselves in the way that, like, other minority groups are, you know? Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, and the other thing that is, like, because it's also interesting. I don't see anybody like, again, below sort of like a Ellen level who's yet been able to figure out how to maintain crossover appeal. Because now most of my audiences, like if I play a theater, not a club, mm-hmm. most of my audience is self-selecting queer, which like I totally yeah. understand. But also um, it does feel like I'm disappointed in I it's I like love my audience. It's not them. I have no problem with my audience. I'm disappointed in straight people that they can't like exp- open their mind enough to think about going to see, like oh like I'm a good comic, you know. Like I yes, think I'm are. fucking good, you know. Yeah. And so that that to me is like I find that frustrating, and I can't even imagine how frustrating you might find it since you just described this situation with gay men. Like, yeah, I think that that is very frustrating. I mean, the thing is, is it is very cool to go to a show. Um, where that is like a self-selected theater situation, and I love it. Uh, but well, t- for it to be, um, mine is a lot like a lot of twenty-something girls of color, um, <laughs> and like that makes me. Yes, there are gays there, but um, seeing like young professional ladies who are empowered by getting to see me fucking thrills me. I'm like, yeah, yes, awesome. we're doing this right. Uh, uh, but it, no, it is really hard that um, it goes back to that Instagram ability question. Like standup is inherently about the dangers and the problems and um, you know, like the realities of life and we're, gay men are used to never seeing that stuff be reflected and it feels dangerous when it is publicly talked about, which is why, I mean, but also that is so changing. Like, you know, the scene of Brooklyn comics like Joel Kim Booster and Matt Rogers Mm -hmm. and Julio Torres was so much the result of a changing audience of cooler people who were, um, excited to see that kind of stuff. And you now have, you know, like Joel's telling jokes about poppers left and right. And, um, John early has some excellent bottoming material. And that's not just cliches, but like a little bit of honesty. And, you know, the, the cool boys and girls of Brooklyn are excited for it in a way that like the gays of, Cleveland's, um, let's go with Columbus. It's a more fun town. The gays of Columbus just haven't experienced yet. You know what else is funny to me about that, though? The way you just described that. And I don't know that I've had an episode of Query yet where I talked this much about stand-up. So it's kind of fun. Okay. Um, But you were talking about how it is is dangerous to hear. Like, it's still, like, when I used to talk about, um, you know, 12 years ago when I used to talk about uh, sex, that was not something that like I really saw other yeah. lesbian comics talking about at the time. Um, 
in like a way that wasn't like too in groupy, but that it was very frank. Yeah. And it, and I it, anyway, it, I literally like gasps, like actual gasps from yeah. the audience. And I do see that when gay men perform, and I think it's so it's like it's so funny that um, you're right. It's happening in Brooklyn. Stand up has always been about like what is the most dangerous, edgy, fucked up shit we could say that's real and raw and what's really going on in our culture. And that is why I'm like, this this is it right now. You yeah. know, like I just that's that's my I guess my frustration is wanting um wanting straight people to be more interesting and to think that like, you know what is like the most dangerous thing I could like? It's actually this guy. Like this is actually exactly in line with what I've always liked from you know, the, like, like I like Carlin, I like Pryor, and then I like yeah. Joel Kim Booster talking about butt sex. Yeah. You know, like, that's, that is the inheritance of that, of uh, this field. Well, Kumail Nanjiani has that very good line that he knows white people can look through his eyes and understand it because he's spent his whole life looking through white people's eyes. Um, and, you know, but what it's going to take for people to, like, figure that out, um, you know, is an interesting question. You know, how long is it going to take? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Well, what do I want to ask you about next? How How is it right now for you, um, like, going from a – when you do tour and you're in other cities, yes. going from this experience – because we've also talked to, we've sort of like edged around. Um, LA is full of people that are like per capita more uh, attractive than a lot of cities. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't mean that in a, sh- in a shitty way to other cities. It's yeah. just that a lot of people who are attractive move here because they think they're going to be able to capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. It is yes. extremely weird. It's a weird part of this city. Then you go to other places. Some of the stuff that we've talked about here, like you're showing up in a different city and you're telling the jokes that you're telling. Like, how does that, how does that change? Say you walk running around LA doing shows versus you performing in New Hampshire, wherever you're talking about on any of these topics, like, like, uh, your, how you look or what you're talking about or your booming voice. Like, is that different for you? I, I think I'm able to assume and just more sophistication from an audience here in New York that I can just start off and start talking and I don't need to, you know, I can trust that they assume that gay people exist and I might be one of them and they're not going to be surprised when it gets to, um, you know, like something that involves me and a dude. Um, Because at the beginning of my career, like there were times when I would try to do that and not sort of make a joke about being gay, but just have it be incidentally present. And audiences were like, what? Um, but also America's changing. And I don't think I even do that on the road so much anymore. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, Me neither, actually. I, and I definitely, um, you know, I don't know. I would say I pulled decent tail on the road because That's it's what I'm talking just about. nice to have someone from out of town or you go to a place like San Francisco where everyone just wants to fuck all the time. But I would also say, I mean, I do all right here at home uh, just because um, I have uh, more social networks to work. Um, it's in New York that things get truly dark. That's so funny. 
<laughs> Actually, when I said that's what I'm talking about, I've literally never hooked up with anybody on the road. How yeah. would that even happen? No, I have no interest. I have no interest. I have no interest. Oh. But like, I'm so happy for you. Uh, one of my favorites was last time I was in Burlington. I got done with the show and I had a grinder message from her. No, no, no. no. Uh, like, yeah, I had a grinder message from a dude who lived a block from the show who was like, I saw you were there. I didn't go. I had other things to do, but do you want to hang out now? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, well, congrats on that. And did you have him pay you a ticket price plus also get two drinks? No, Well, no. I performed for the love of the game. <laughs> Can I, uh, this is, this is something I was thinking about earlier. Um, I have dated folks that are like taller than me, folks that are shorter than me, folks that are like skinnier than me, folks that are heavier than me. And um, I feel like I, I, it changes my perception of myself a lot. Mm-hmm. What is going on with this other person? Sometimes I can feel like real big and tough if I'm with somebody who's little than me, yes. or sometimes I want, I feel very like protected. And I guess I was wondering if, how tall are you? I am 6'3". Yeah. Like, how how often in your life have you been with a dude who is, like, physically larger than you? I mean, it would be hard to achieve. Um, <laughs> it's never been the case. I have always asserted that if someone wants to have sex with me, they a little bit want to be scared. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. But, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is uh, the gentleman with whom I currently have an understanding um, is, like— he is a big guy. He is like, um, he's a little bit shorter than I am. Uh, and he's very burly. Um, and mostly I just, when um, in flagrante delicto, don't want to fear that I'm going to break a person. Um, so a certain degree of substance is required. I've never really dated anybody tiny. Like, um, yeah, I mean, not that I don't find them adorable and wonderful it's just um well i i mean i guess i was tr- gonna ask a little bit and if, and if you're dating a dude who's burly maybe you do have this feeling of like somebody being able to like hold you and snuggle you up and like make you feel protected and i was wondering if you've had that experience because yes there, there are there are always the situations where i mean the very rare situation of somebody being taller enough than me that i can like put my head on their shoulder like that's nice. I've never had that um, with a, a gay guy, but sometimes I've been like with, you know, just sort of standing with a straight guy and giving him a hug and realize like, oh, that would be lovely. Yeah. Um, that's like, a, it's like a part of, yeah. I think, just being a human that sometimes we want to feel like. Um, but uh, yes, I mean, I am always bigger than anyone uh, I am messing around with. Yes. Wow. I did not. I mean, I just actually didn't know the answer. Yes. What the answer would be. Well, shit. I promise that I will um, give you a hug after this uh-huh. that makes you feel very small and held. Good. Somehow I'll figure that out. It'll be like a mental thing. Yes. I think we can do that together. Yes. Oh, uh, Guy, I think it's like time to ask you this final question. Um, can you shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing, made you feel like you can be who you are today? I actively avoided talking about this person. We were talking about queer stand-ups before because I was holding on to her to be my queero. 
It is Margot Gomez. Margot oh, Gomez wow. is a comic who I saw on TV in the 90s who was beautiful and smart and funny and gay as the day is long and was like, I mean, I saw her do a joke about Anais Neen on like uh, a showcase show. Um, she was so amazing. And at a time when we were like, really excited about lesbians and Latinas and um, like she and Robin Williams like promoted her a bunch and she had like a moment and then there wasn't that next step for her. Uh, And she does a lot of one person shows now in in the Bay area. She teaches classes. I mean, she's an amazing performer, but I think if there were a person who I saw doing very gay stand up at a time that I was figuring out, I might be gay and to stand up. Um, it was her. And I just love so much that she's in my life and that she is somebody who I can reach out to when I have questions. I mean, mm. the one one advantage of our situation is that while the people who came before us um, aren't didn't reach the heights that straight guys were able to, they are so much more accessible. And even when it comes to... Um, you know, queer and straight female comics who I so loved and respected in like the nineties or early two thousands. So many of them are just around. Like That's true. That's really true. It's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And sad. <laughs> yeah, all of those things. Margaret, I feel like is somebody I saw where did I like in P Town or something? I don't know. I feel yeah. like I yeah, but um this is somebody you are like personally friends with. You have to be personally friends yes. with this person that you. It's just so nice. To. Or like yeah. Scott Thompson is someone I can call if I need to. Yeah. And um, that's so lovely. And it's hard to see that so many of their contemporaries like had these glorious careers. Well, they have had fine careers, but um, it, you know, I, I, I am wish that they had had more. You know, I think some of what you're talking about that's also true is those women that you're talking about from the 90s. A lot of those folks are, they still do stand-up, you know? And and their peers or the contemporaries or whatever who were, like, launched into megastardom don't. And so that's also an interesting and cool feature of, like, what, like, the other side of a very sad and fucking unfair coin is that these are people who've been doing stand-up forever. First of all. When Jerry Seinfeld can't find anyone who's a woman to have coffee in cars with, (laughs) I'm like, you dated every one of these bitches in the 80s. They're still around. Like, you know, can't Elaine get in a car? Uh, Boozler, not Bennis. But like, um, I was at a show at Revolver. This is, I was at a show at Revolver and Kathy Ladman, who I love and respect, came and did a set. And, you know, most of the time, Kathy is like living out in the valley, raising family. Um, but this is someone who was the contemporary and equal of, uh, you know, Seinfeld and all of those guys. And she told a joke that was perfect and timeless. It was about saying thank you. And I went up to her after the show and I was like, oh, that's so good. You must have had that in your back pocket since 1987. That joke is perfect and timeless and the best. And she was like, I wrote it last week. And yeah, these are people who are still trying, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like still writing their own material. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, what happens just time-wise after a while. You're not writing your own shit. Ellen, you know, I mean, whatever. These people are not writing their own shit. They can't. 
They're not writing their own shit. Um, so yeah, it's it is something very cool. You know, the my like greatest access point for some of this stuff is like the shows that happen in P Town, just because yeah. like so if you're ever in Provincetown and you're like looking for something to do, there's always people who have like one woman shows or one dude shows who've been like doing this for. And it's usually, actually it's mostly one woman shows, but I, just based there aren't that there's like there's not there's not really dudes of that generation that are gay that are out. That survived. I've never, yeah, I mean, that aspect of things of just, you know, a quarter of the population, a third of the population being removed. Um, uh, I've never gay resorted on the East Coast. I've only, I've only ever done uh, Palm Springs and uh, Laguna Beach and uh, Gurneyville. Oh, Guy, I, um, I have to say, I think you would kind of love it. I mean, I don't know. It seems interesting, but um, I'm judgmental. What's your ju- what's your judgment? I mean, Provincetown. I just don't know what it is, and I'm like the beach in Massachusetts. It will be gray. <laughs> um, that is a fair point. You've made a fair point. Although sometimes it's sunny, sometimes it's sunny in the summer. And the dynamics of Fire Island, I just don't understand. Right. I've never been to Fire Island. It does. Yeah. It that does kind of elude me. I think yes. that one thing I love about Provincetown, which is not so dissimilar from Palm, from Palm Springs, is that it is the edge of it, like of the country, like the same way yeah. that like Key West is. It's literally like gays being like, is this far enough? How do we need, how do we, can we have this part? Yeah. Like it's so, and it's so, um, there's something very cool about that, about this like, and by the way, that also means it's cost prohibitive because yeah. you have to like figure out how the fuck to get there. But um, there's something very cool about sort of being like at the at very end of things yeah. with the people that, you know, are also queer. Like yeah. it's like no one is happening through there. Yeah. There's not like a accidental bachelorette party or whatever or like it's it's – intentionally gay. I do love that feeling of spaces we have created for ourselves and that feeling of sort of like joy, you know? Yeah, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah. Guy, before I send you back into your day, I just want to say um, I love your stand-up. I think you are so fun to watch. And always when you did my show, Put Your Hands Together, um, you know, you're the kind of comic that I would like come out of the green room for because you're so powerful on stage. You're just such a powerful presence. I, I love your stand-up, Cameron. And it is, it was really lovely. You riff so much on that show. You riff so much on stuff that was like going on presently that it was always really fun to see what's what's her brain doing with this. You know, it's like- oh, that's so nice. Um, the, so much of the comedy is coming from the same places that like um, getting somebody's, you know, reactions um, that were coming from a really funny comedy place, but wasn't the same as everybody else. I always really loved. Oh, man, that's so cool. I'm so glad to have a chance to tell you that I love your work. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. 